immersive audio podcast in conversation with industry thought leaders, practitioners, artists, academics, and entrepreneurs discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry from art, science, and business to practical insights and project case studies. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. Welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast brought to you by 1618 Digital. Today, Catherine Robinson joins host Oliver Cadell in the studio. Audio supervisor at BBC Wales, Catherine has worked in radio sound for the BBC since 2001. Her specialism is sound design for radio drama, binaural audio and 3D sound for 360 video and VR. Catherine discusses her role at the BBC, the first binaural episode of a TV programme available on the BBC iPlayer, Doctor Who, how content will drive immersive audio consumption and bringing immersive audio to the masses. Catherine Robinson, good afternoon and welcome to Immersive Audio Podcast. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for stopping by. All right, straight to questions. What got you interested in audio? How did you get to the industry? Okay, so I went to university originally to study music. When I was at university, I also did music technology and I realised I had an aptitude for technology that I hadn't been exposed to before. And so... I gave up music and concentrated solely on technology and I ended up coming out of university with a degree in sonic arts. So I did that at Middlesex University. It was brilliant. I loved it, absolutely loved it. And following that degree, I got a job very quickly in the BBC uh, as a trainee audio supervisor and I've been there ever since. When I was at Middlesex University studying sonic arts, I got very interested in creating I would say live generative music with gestural interfaces. So I was working with programs like Max MSP, Super Collider and creating devices to do live performance. And there was a group of us doing a similar thing. And I got very interested in manipulation of sound and sound design. And of course, when I first joined the BBC, it was all to do with recording, live broadcasting, radio. And the the interest I had in sound design uh, fitted very well with radio drama. I naturally gravitated towards working in radio drama. And and, and I guess my career in the BBC has been very focused around doing sound design there. Yeah, it's just something that I love doing. And it really fills that creative urge in me to work with sound. Can you tell us about your role as audio supervisor at BBC. What are your main responsibilities and what is your usual day like? So I've been an audio supervisor at BBC Wales. I've been with the BBC for 17 years, but I've been with BBC Wales for the last, I think it's the last 10 years. Is it nine years? I'm trying to think how old my daughter is. (laughs) It's almost 10 years, coming up to 10 years at BBC Wales as an audio supervisor. So before I was doing work in immersive audio, I would be mainly mixing live radio, um, recording radio drama for Radio 4, doing the sound design and doing outside broadcasts, working with the orchestra. So a really big variety of work. And since uh, probably as I got into doing immersive audio, 
I've been allocated to being um, an audio supervisor for all sorts of different types of content beyond radio. And I suppose my day it is very much structured around that content and I'm not rotated by anybody else, but I'm working on very specific projects. I'm also working with research and development. So there's a lot more in terms of looking and, and, and discovering different tools, evaluating them, um, working alongside production and developing new formats, developing program ideas, talking to them a lot about how the technology works and how it could fit in creatively with what they're doing and then supporting them in their projects. I'm also producing my own projects so my role as an audio supervisor has evolved as the technology and the 3D sound studios evolve. So I've been producing 360 video and uh, radio um, and it's all very centered around immersive audio. So as well as driving the tools I'm also driving the content as well and hopefully it will kind of it will keep rolling and lots more people will be producing immersive audio content too. Uh, so I guess, yeah, I do a lot of talking to people as well. So um, I'll, I'll do presentations and go uh, every now and again, I'll go up to Salford where the BBC Research and Development audio team are based and work with them. So I work very closely with them and uh, my projects take me all over the place. That's great. Um, it's good to, you know, break up your routine and get to do all kinds of things. My next question was, what got you interested in immersive media? A memory, a project, a, a particular event that you could talk to us about that really like nailed you know, the whole thing in for you personally? I'd say there's two things there. Um, when I'm looking back to when I was at university and I was really interested in sound and sound art and sound design, I was very interested in binaural recording and I had a pair of binaural microphones back then and we're talking 20 years ago. Uh, and I know binaural recording's been around for decades, but the new way of working with immersive audio is very recent. But back then, I, I liked to take recordings of places that I would visit. So I'd, they were almost like little sound postcards and... Um, I just loved that space you'd get with listening back on headphones and I always found it very, very appealing. So um, then it was a couple of years ago when I was... Um, in a role at BBC Wales, I was the, the innovation lead for BBC Wales. It was a little sidestep for me. It was a way of looking at lots of new technology and innovation and bringing it back to the business and saying, uh, this is what we could be using. And while I was doing that role, I discovered what the BBC Research and Development team were doing in Salford with Immersive Audio and we formed a collaboration with Radio Drama in Wales R&D on a project called Ring which is a Japanese horror tale by Koji Suzuki and it was adapted by Anita Sullivan and it was for Radio 4's Fright Night. They decided to create a stereo version for the transmission and they also wanted to have a immersive audio version so we did two mixes we did a stereo mix I recorded it all did the edit and did the sound design and once that was complete I went up to the lab in Salford at research and development and did the immersive mix with them using their tools that they'd created so after that that was it I had the bug and I wanted to do more and I could see the possibilities, I could see the potential. So that's when I set about bringing together all the tools at BBC Wales to, to enable us to create 
all sorts of different types of immersive audio content. At the same time as doing that role, I was looking and researching 360 video and we were starting to create content there. And we realised really quickly that in order to create immersive VR and 360 experiences, that the audio was so important. And again, we were using the, the research from R&D, working very closely with them in order for us to create a workflow that worked to create content and work with different productions. So I haven't really stopped since that first audio drama, Ring, back in 2015. And there was another one at the same time called The Stone Tapes, which again, it, there was a linear transmission in stereo and then they did a, an immersive version as well. You've created a sound design and binaural mix for Ring for Radio 4. Was this something you were involved with uh, from the very beginning? Did you learn anything new from this project? Yes, I was involved with it from the point of capture. So I had discussions with the director, James Robinson, uh, around the sound and around some of the sound design we might do. Um, We had some discussion about what might work in binaural. We did an A-B comparison afterwards. We kind of chopped together the the stereo version and then it changes every now and again to the binaural version so you can hear the difference, hear what it's doing to the sounds. And it just opens up the space. It's like someone's knocking the walls down and you get this amazing feeling of space around you and things happening around you. And I don't necessarily think that's a good thing. Got to be honest, I think that the stereo version was a bit more engaging with every now and again with the binaural version it was a little bit more effective in terms of the soundscape and feeling as though you were in there but in terms of narrative engagement I felt that production benefited from very close voices very stylized sound design and a a really pacey narrative and it was more about that rather than the immersive audio that gave it the qualities that it had it was I, I thought it was an amazing production it wasn't amazing because of the immersive audio it all comes back down again to conventional wisdoms same tool doesn't fit all jobs and sometimes using things sparingly is the best way and it's all about context every project will require different set of tools or a unique combination of those and I guess this is a typical example where it proved to be the case. Yeah, and and quite often I think people will use immersive audio as a as a an add-on because it will add space and it will add something. But if it's not written into the drama from the very conception as a creative tool, it's never going to be as effective. So I, I mean, I I could see afterwards what I would do to improve that in the future. But it really it really nagged on me, I, and I really thought actually we need to be writing for immersive audio. We need to be really getting it in the hands of the creatives right from the very beginning of an idea seed of an idea rather than coming to it at the end of uh, when the script has been made and we're in production there's a similar phenomena that can be observed within I suppose uh, the visual aspect 360 videos for example or in any VR projects in fact um, where people try to fit uh, like a something that worked really well and is establishing 2D world into 360 and just it becomes a gimmick and uh, you try to kind of fit something that doesn't belong there and comparing that to projects that were conceived with immersive technology in mind, you know, the difference is like world apart really and I guess the same could be said about audio tools and formats as well. Yeah, it really feels that way and it's, it's almost like with immersive audio production, you've stepped onto the stage 
and the action is happening around you. But in doing that, you have to have a reason for being on the stage with the action happening around you. And that has to be written into the narrative or used as a trick or used as some sort of tool within the, the creative process. And when that's done, it's, uh, it's where the magic happens. It's, it's amazing. When did the BBC open its binaural mixing facility or um, immersive audio mixing, dubbing facility, if you will. And how many programmes have been made since? That's a hard one. BBC Research and Development have been working with immersive audio in their lab for a number of years. And the studio that I've created in BBC Wales has been going since 20... trying to think I think it's 2015 was when it was created Uh, since then there's been another system created in other parts of the BBC so there's one in Maida Vale and they're doing lots of work with audio drama I don't think I can tell you how many productions have come through my door because it's ramped up so quickly and and just having the tools and the expertise there and especially in Wales where you've got such a variety of content and you can reach all sorts of people so we've done uh, TV drama We've done radio drama. I've just done a a radio documentary for Radio Wales, which was completely done in immersive audio. I've done lots of 360 video using immersive audio. And it's not just me. There are other people in the BBC. There's there's someone called Tom Parnell up in the North Lab Research and Development working on the binaural proms every year. And he's doing all sorts of different content. So it feels like it's been this exponential curve from about two years ago since we've had the tools and the expertise in place. There's definitely an appetite for it. And that's growing, which is great. Do you think the appetite for immersive audio is growing in general, public? And is it something that only people you know are interested in? Early adopters of technology, people who tend to pay attention to unusual things, or perhaps the usual listeners start realising that actually it's a new thing and I kind of like it, I, I want more of it. Yeah, it's an interesting question. And actually, I think what's happening is that generally consumers are using headphones more. And with the rise of people consuming content on tablets and on phones, they and are gravitating towards headphones. So headphone use has just rocketed. And I think that's what's driving this appetite for immersive audio. I think also we know that with virtual reality, it really does up the immersion if you've got immersive audio Uh, spatial audio that you can move, head track. So that's driving it as well. I think content will drive it ultimately. I think if we have really, really good content, then people will want more. I found personally that um, having worked with immersive audio for the last couple of years, I've spent a lot of time with wearing headphones, listening to immersive audio. And when I go back to listening to stereo content, it feels claustrophobic. It feels like it feels too in my head. I want that space back from the immersive audio. And I kind of feel like I wonder if the audience will experience that as well. If they will feel like once they're exposed to more immersive audio content, that they'll feel they'll want that space again and they'll go back to stereo and go, oh, no, I want that space again, please. I don't know what it was, but I want it, please. It's almost like going from HDTV back to SDTV. You've been watching SDTV for ages and you you see some HD and go, oh, yeah, it's quite nice isn't it and then you go back to SDTV and go oh no that's really bad isn't it I want the HDTV please Uh, I think that's what it's going to be like with the immersive audio content I think people will start to feel like it's much more comfortable to listen to on headphones so for example with TV if you're watching something on television 
with a pair of headphones, if it's on your tablet or on your phone, and you could have an immersive, say you could have a 5.1 mix in your headphones, and it gave you much more engagement or much more of an immersive experience, would you choose it if it was available? But we don't know because it's not always available. That's a really, really interesting point because what I tend to notice from a lot of people that subliminally tend to prefer timbral fidelity versus spatial fidelity. And what you just talked about is completely the opposite. You have been exposed to that type of content for sufficient period of time to change your preference, which is really, really interesting. And I personally always thought that perhaps something like that could take a long, really long time for people to develop the appetite towards, shall I say, a very, very different format. Uh, the way it sounds and the way it's consumed. Yeah, and I, I think as well, we're, we're kind of discovering the craft of immersive audio, what works, what doesn't, what the audience like, what their level of engagement is. And I mean, some of the things, when, especially when we did the Doctor Who episode, we found that there was something to do with the way the sounds mask each other in normal audio when you listen on headphones that makes it difficult for people to hear the narrative. And when we did the press screening, we had somebody who came up to us afterwards and said, that's the first time I've ever listened and watched a a TV drama without subtitles because I can't hear very well and I normally wear hearing aids. And he said, because of the spatial spread of the sound the sounds weren't fighting with each other so although the the overall impact of the music and the effects still had their dramatic response and their emotional effect he could still hear every word of the narrative because it wasn't being masked it was held in azimuth and elevation in space just sound clearer from from all the other things going on in the sounds in the mix which was a side effect that we didn't really think about when we when we were creating it and Now we're thinking that's so interesting and it's such a huge problem for people to hear the words on programmes. Maybe spatial audio is something that will really, really help. It's really interesting because you're still utilising two channels. So all of a sudden there's so much more room for for speech and uh, it translates through a very real case study where somebody said, I can actually hear what's going on compared to the usual one when, when they struggle with that. That's really interesting. Are there any other interesting observations and case studies that you could share with regards spatial audio, binaural audio versus traditional audio? Music is always something that's discussed a lot. And again, I think about it very much in terms of drama narratives. I think we've got very fixed expectations of how we normally mix music and the blend of that music is the creative's choice. They've chosen those instruments and they've chosen those frequencies to blend together to make a whole sound. And if you start to separate those sounds in three-dimensional space, the blend is very, very different of those sounds. So taking something that's been traditionally composed, for example, if you just take a band, you've got drums, bass, guitar, vocals, and you then mix it for spatial audio, I think it doesn't work. I think it takes you away from what it is the artist was trying to achieve. So for me, it's about using spatial audio as a creative tool and saying to the artist, right from the conception, use this in your composition. Use spatial audio much like you'd use frequency or timbre or anything like that. And, you know, it's about exposing the tools and the, the craft and the expertise to the artists and collaborating with them, working with them and seeing what we can do creatively together. I guess that's what my mission is with binaural spatial audio is 
getting in the hands of creatives and collaborating and, and seeing what happens. I think that's where the magic happens. I know when we did Doctor Who as well, there were quite surprising things about where you would place the music and where you would automatically think of placing orchestral music, for example. You feel as though you should be putting it slightly in front of you as an orchestra would be placed in front of you on a stage and the way that they'll be laid out from left to right and you, you, it feels like you should put them there, but actually it doesn't feel right so there was a lot of experimenting with where to put it so we were moving it around in three-dimensional space and both of us agreeing actually it's behind us now and it's around there but that feels right I don't know why it just feels right and maybe there's something more to think about and research into why but um, we were really just doing it instinctually Uh, and the other thing was to do with generally you don't want anyone to notice the sound. If you if someone's noticed the sound and it breaks them out of the narrative, you've done something wrong. It needs to just be completely seamless and not upset any of the enjoyment of the actual story. So when we were experimenting with the voices, um, I'm saying we, I'm talking about myself. There was uh, Darren Clement, who was the engineer who did the spatial mix for Doctor Who, who works on Doctor Who all the time. So we were looking at the voices and when someone was off screen and then they were suddenly on screen and the picture shots changed from wide to narrow should the voices jump around and should they match actually where they are but we found that when we did that the sounds were jumping around so much it completely distracted you from the narrative so there was very little of that done and um, most of the spatialization was in the sounds happening around the characters in the story and actually it just happened to be that the story really lent itself to uh, spatial audio because the team had really thought about which episode would work well uh, so there's a good understanding from that point of view of what would work well so yeah we, we learned quite a lot there great we're talking about doctor who now i'm very excited how did the idea to make the episode in binaural came about so it came around after we did um the Russell T. Davis adaptation of A Midsummer Night's Dream and we mixed that in binaural as an experiment for BBC Taster which is our experimental platform for new content at the BBC and the exec producer for A Midsummer Night's Dream was Brian Minchin who uh, is the exec producer on Doctor Who and when we originally set about trying to do the binaural Midsummer Night's Dream we realised we had to get all the people on board that were going to be working on the sound. So that means we had to have meetings with the dubbing mixers, with the track layers, with speech editors, and we exposed them to what the tools could do. We exposed them to some comparison, A-B comparison content of what it sounded like in stereo and then what it sounded like in immersive audio. So after doing that, and gradually we got everyone interested Uh, And, you know, some people have been working in stereo and with 5.1 for years and years and years, and they don't want to change their workflows. And they know what they're doing inside out. And uh, people don't know whether this is going to work or not. This is experimental. Not everyone's going to be interested, but we were just really lucky um, to have so many brilliant people who were just genuinely excited by the technology and by what we could achieve. And after doing Midsummer Night's Dream, That was where the seed was sown, really. And that's when Brian Minchin went away and said, um, he came back and said, I think there's an episode in the next series which would work really well. And so we collaborated with uh, BBC Research and Development again to create this special episode. And what was really exciting about that episode was that it was uh, the first ever binaural 
TV programme to be put on BBC iPlayer. And that was very difficult to set up as thinking, how do we direct audiences to the headphone only listening version versus the we don't want them to be directed to the wrong version and things like that. So it was quite complicated setting up those systems and ways for people to find it. We had to wait until the episode was finished for the terrestrial audience. We were booked in and kind of waiting in the wings for everything to be finished and and dates got shifted around and um, eventually when it all happened uh, we were just ready to go and we set up all the equipment and we had all of our workflows and all the lessons we'd learned from a Midsummer Night's Dream already done which set us up really really well for doing the the immersive mix of Doctor Who. Darren was was confident with the equipment and he'd also been involved in the track clay and the speech edit so he'd organised the Pro Tools session in a way that would allow him to understand and easily mix the sections that needed to be immersive so it just flowed really nicely and it all worked really well. I'm curious to hear whether the sound was recorded binaural on set or did the team had to use 3D panel and then binauralize the sound in post? Yeah, so the, the, all the sounds were just recorded as they normally would be for an episode of Doctor Who. Nothing was recorded binaurally. All the sounds went through our BBC renderer. This is a tool that the BBC's created to add... Uh, spatial audio onto individual sounds so it's an object mixing facility so yeah we did it that way so it was all done afterwards there was no capture in binaural I'm really curious to hear how was the episode received by general public are there any figures and statistics that you could share with us here? Oh, I don't know any statistics. There was an awful lot of downloads. I haven't got the exact figures on me. We had lots and lots of really positive feedback from the audience. Uh, there was lots of people who said they watched the episode twice. They watched it as they normally would on the television. And then they went into iPlay and watched it on headphones. And... There was quite a lot of buzz around the fact that we used this new technology and it was very innovative and it was a really big flagship programme to use it on. I think the binaural version, I'd have to find out what the the actual final figure was, but it was quite high. By the sound of it, a lot of people definitely enjoyed it. I, I certainly did. I, I watched it and I, I thought that was quite fresh and different. Are there other TV and radio producers who become more and more interested in binaural sound? And is it reasonable to assume that perhaps we can expect a dedicated immersive audio piece of content, which is maybe in future become as iconic as Doctor Who, conceived and written with immersive technology in mind? Yeah, I mean, there was something that a new format that I got off the ground last year, which was for Radio 4 called the Pod Plays. And these were a collection of short form audio dramas for online only that was specially written for binaural audio. So they're well worth a listen to. They vary in length and vary in style. The idea is that you feel slightly more immersed by going to the location in which the drama is set. So, for example, there's one where you're invited to lie in your bed with your headphones on, listening on a tablet or a phone. And then binaurally, it feels as though someone is set in your bedroom and they're talking to you and a something dramatic happens over the next six minutes. I won't ruin it for you. If you go in to type in Radio 4 Pod Plays, they should come up and they're all downloadable. So that was really, that was hugely exciting for me, having, you know, as I was talking about before, this mission to get something specially written for binaural. So we developed a number of writer and producer combinations and ended up with these these short form dramas and um, I'm, I would love to do more of that sort of thing and I think we've seen over the last few years how Radio 3 have really taken on binaural technology doing the proms in binaural every year and that's going from strength to strength yeah and it, it, it I mean it's in the hands of the creatives now they need to use it and come up with the ideas and and 
drive it forward that way. Can we expect another episode of Doctor Who with binaural sound anytime soon? I don't know. I have no idea. I would love to. I'd love to do another one. Catherine, uh, where do you see most of audio heading in the near future or perhaps distant future if you feel ambitious? If I'm future gazing and and my own experiences of working with immersive audio and wanting immersive audio more, I would love to see all content that's out there in surround sound to be available for the headphone user and even for your device to just recognise that you've plugged your headphones in and you get the surround sound version on your headphones. Um, I remember doing a flight and I was looking around and everyone's watching films and you've kind of got a captive audience and everyone's on headphones. And again, I was sitting there thinking, oh, this is really claustrophobic, this stereo listening malarkey. I want the space, please. And I thought, you know, if only you could have. Because I'm sure all of those films I was watching watching on the plane had beautiful 5.1 mixes but I couldn't access them on my headphones and I was thinking I know I could I know I could access this if only it was spatialized using these new tools and you know I'd hope to see that in the next few years I hope we can all have that choice um I'd also like to see more creative immersive audio productions happening from conception and not just a square peg round hole scenario well I can imagine that the the way that we consume immersive audio especially with 360 video is going to improve a lot over the next few years and we see more standardization because those have been the stumbling blocks of recent times but in the meantime we're kind of working in this area we're learning the craft and learning what works what doesn't so when the technology catches up to be able to give that accurate reproduction we'll be hopefully ready uh, with our skills I like that. And I think that's quite feasible as well. I suppose that the ubiquity that immersive industry is hoping for and talking about all the time is going to come through the fact that the typical member of the audience will be just be able to select any preferred format, just the way people do these days. Smartphone, TV, computer, many things, you name it. And within those ways of, you know, receiving entertainment and enjoying content, there's also should be further options in terms of how would you like your playback and audio is definitely one of the crucial aspects within that. Yeah, and also there's a lot of work that uh, BBC R&D do around object-based broadcasting and around how the future of broadcasting could be that you've got more choice over how you receive your content and that could include how you receive your audio part of the content and if it's immersive or if it's not immersive and just as a consumer having that choice. Uh, so with IP broadcasting and with object-based broadcasting, we're going to have all these amazing things at our disposal to use. And as a consumer, it's really exciting to think I can have all this personalised content. I mean, this is future gazing probably five, ten years off. BBC recently released a really interesting documentary about Dam in Ethiopia, uh, which I believe is called Damming the Nile, exploring with 360 video. And there were two versions, uh, traditional 2D as well as 360. I watched it personally just last week and I really enjoyed it. And I believe you worked on it personally. Yeah, so I worked on the spatial audio. So I came to it after they had created the film, after they'd done all the capture and done all the editing. And right at the final moment when everything was locked, I did the spatialization for that film. I wonder if there was a discussion about going on set and capturing uh, 360 audio and then bringing it into the studio. Was there, was there any connection there or was it kind of 
done traditionally and then all the work uh, had to be done in post. Yeah, so before they went out to do the capture, we had a discussion about the sound and how that should be captured. And we came to the decision to capture any voices with lav mics, so it would be all closely recorded. And then we could then, in post-production, spatialise those mics to go with the positions of the people talking on the 360 video. And all of the other spatial soundscapes, if you like, were recorded on a, an ambisonic microphone. They had a small kit of parts with the audio when they were going around Africa, and it, it consisted of a, an ambisonic mic and a few radio mics. Something like Sennheiser Ambio. Yes, yeah. I suppose the most portable one. Yeah. Is there anything else you would like to tell us about the project and uh, workflow challenges interesting things to mention? Um, I think what was really interesting for me was that in the process of creating that film, they'd really thought about how to direct the attention of the viewer with sound. It was Becky Lipscomb, who was the producer of that film, who's the BBC Africa producer based in Nairobi. And she comes from a sound background, so she really understood sound. And she really got involved with thinking about how the sound could direct the attention to the viewer to look in a certain direction. And so when, when I did the spatial mix, she sat with me for a week and we really worked on those parts and really trying to get the viewer to look around and and feel immersed um and and that for me that's really satisfying that someone who has got a traditional background in radio and tv is starting to really think about the craft of, of 360 video they're putting out something really exciting and really interesting and engaging around a, a, a really important issue it makes a world of difference when somebody like exec producer uh, or director is very sound centric sound driven and understands how it works and how much impact it can make if it's executed correctly. Yeah, and, and actually so often the sound is the last thing to be thought about. It's just slapped on at the end, isn't it? But, you know, with VR and 360 video, you can really use it to direct people to look at the things that drive the narrative forward. But that needs to be thought about in, right from the very beginning, from storyboarding and thinking about your shots and how you're going to place people and where they're going to walk. So I can't agree more. Do you have any exciting upcoming projects that you can talk to us about? I mean, I've just had a project that you can access on iPlayer, uh, which is called The Sounds of Wales, which is a celebratory look at the country of Wales through sound. And it's all been created with immersive audio. So you are taken on a listening journey with the presenter, Hugh Huddy, who is talking to various contributors about their iconic sounds of Wales from everything from the Pupping Seal beaches in Pembrokeshire through to the, the memories of a coal miner from 25 years ago uh, to the sounds of Cardiff on a rugby match day in the city centre. Uh, and you can experience those sounds as though you were there in, in binaural audio with the, with the presenter. So a really nice, really different way of experiencing radio and a lovely kind of sonic journey to go on. A very unique look at Wales as well. And, and there's lots of different layers in the programme. Can our listeners find this on demand? Yes. So if you go into the iPlayer and just put in Sounds of Wales, then it should come up. That's brilliant. Were you involved with sound recording or just post-production? We did all the recordings together. The presenter is called Hugh Huddy and he's actually a sound artist and he 
also works for the RNIB. He's very interested in spatial audio from the point of view of his experience of connecting with the world through sound. And it's because he can't see. So he is very, very interested in spatial audio and communicating to other people that we can all hear in spatial audio it's just we choose not to listen generally and he does this amazing job of pointing out to people the kind of rich sonic soundscapes around us and what kind of things you get in that listening experience spatially uh, and things that he's experiencing he's just got this wonderful excitement around sound and he's also a very keen sound recordist using binaural microphones so we did a system of he recorded everything using his microphones and I recorded with other microphones and we did a mix with a blend of those recordings as well as some of the other recordings and put it through the BBC renderer and used the um, spatial audio tools there. So it's a, it was a real mix as well. And the other thing about it was it kind of flips between ordinary mono and stereo and then back into binaural and it suddenly opens up and breathes again. And I think that's another nice trick to use when you're mixing with binaural audio because we're very used to listening every day to the world in binaural, that's what we do. And after about 30 seconds of listening to binaural content, your brain adjusts and you're used to it. And that kind of magic disappears a little bit um, and you forget that you're listening to something in binaural. But if you keep revisiting it by going back to something that's mono or stereo and then if it's links or something in between or a little reflective thought in sound and then go back to the binaural section, that lovely magic reappears again. And you get that amazing sense of, oh, it's all opened up and the space around me is there and I can, I can feel that this is different. And that's really nice for the audience to experience. I want you to come on a listening journey with me to take a few moments to stop and listen to the sonic treasures that I find. This is thinking about Wales in a different way, finding the essence of the country through its sounds. For my first stop around Wales, I'm going to meet writer and poet Susan Richardson. Susan's been writer in residence for the Marine Conservation Society in Pembrokeshire and has been spending quite a bit of time studying grey seals. continue my journey now to my stag to meet Roy Meredith. Well, we're actually standing on the, the disused coal tips from the old Maestig washery with a view looking south down the valley, the Slindby Valley, and to, to behind us is the, is the keeper of the colliery, a ten-foot oak statue depicting a Welsh miner. And the importance of this to you, Roy, is that you were a miner? Exactly, 25 years, yes. Yeah. And this is what Wales sounded like this, the industrial sound of Wales. In every colliery must have been the same. That's every no matter what colliery surfaces were, we all went through the same procedure. You all picked up your lamp. You all went to the pit bank. You all went into the cage. You get those, the, the rattle of the cage gate is the same in every colliery in South Wales. Some shafts were deeper than others, so it took longer to get to the bottom of the pit. Some cages were bigger than others. When I worked at Coynant in the Lindby Valley, we could, could only take 25 men in a cage. 
when I went to come, there was 160 men in the cage. It was double decked, 80 men in each deck. And then you were on your way down. So in the shaft? In the shaft. When the cage is passed, you'd have a difference in air pressure. Yeah. So you'd have a, def a definite whoosh. On any inset in the shaft, any opening in the shaft, when you pass that, you'd have difference of air pressure. So you'd have a slight variation in the sound of the wind or the, or the, or the shaft air. As you're traveling down. As you're traveling down. And then the noise starts. The conveyor start at the pre-start warning sounds like a warning bell will ring or a, or a horn will sound. The conveyors all change. I also want to discover some of the smaller sounds, like the tiny sounds that buzz past us. I'm going to adventure now into the flower beds with Dr. Tim Rich. He wants to introduce me to a sound that gets his heart racing when he's out searching for bees. He knows about the shrill carder bee found in Wales. Is it distinctly high pitch? Would you really not miss yeah. it once you get to know it? Once you get to know it, yes, very definitely. So when we've been out looking for them in, in August, you could pick them out quite quickly, that they were different and, uh, just by the, the higher pitch. Yes. And they're also quite fast bees again, so that, that this is where the sound was uh, very useful for, for picking them up. On this journey around Wales, I've discovered such a rich and varied sonic country. But how could I finish without experiencing arguably the most rousing, exciting and celebratory sound? I'm going to find this where I'm going now, to Cardiff city centre, where on the streets the tension is rising for the Six Nations opener between Wales and Scotland. I'm hoping to find some people on the streets to ask them what their favourite sound of Wales is. We're here right by the Cardiff uh, railway station, we're in the city centre and we're about to set off into the crowd. You totally sold it. Looking forward to it. Moving on to my last couple of questions, uh, which I ask pretty much every guest. Which project that you've been involved with are you most proud of and why? I'm really proud of working on the episode of Doctor Who and Binaural because it felt like I was bringing immersive audio to the masses. That just felt amazing. And it's something that I'm really passionate about and excited about. And I just want to share it with people. And Doctor Who being such a kind of innovative and forward thinking program anyway, it was just the perfect platform. I'm really proud of working on the pod plays because it was a new format that was created through communicating what immersive audio can do creatively. So I, I'm really proud of the fact that they were specially written for binaural audio and I hope that paves the way for more content of this nature. And um, yeah, and I, I mean, Sounds of Wales was fantastic to work on as well because it's such a unique way of um, presenting radio. Quite a big step for... Um, a station like Radio Wales to suddenly launch into using immersive audio like that. Quite brave. And it just worked really, really well. So yeah, there's all sorts of things I've worked on. I'm proud of them for different reasons. Guess Planet Earth 2 as well, doing the, the immersive audio for the 360s. That was 
incredible and, you know, so exciting to meet David Attenborough and to have this incredible content, which was just brilliant to work on. I probably missed out loads of things, but everything is just hugely exciting at the moment. And my last question, for somebody who's young and ambitious and is really passionate about audio or any pocket of the industry who really wants to get involved but doesn't know where to start, what would be your one piece of advice that you potentially picked up during your career or perhaps something you figured out personally and you just would like to pass on? I think with immersive audio, I think I would say just constantly listen to the world and analyse it and think about what's in there and how you would reproduce it. And I learned this craft years ago. I used to work on the arches and I used to do the sound effects on the, the arches, which is a radio series, a radio drama on Radio 4. And um, I would create the soundscape and the sound effects for the arches. And in order to replicate those sounds, I would always be listening to the world and thinking about what I could use to replicate those sounds in studio. And I think that's the same for immersive audio. I think there's a real temptation for us to, to kind of crowd our mixes with lots of things going on and moving them around a lot and making it sound rich and vibrant. But actually, the world isn't always like that. And we notice spatial audio more when there's less going on. So I would say that when you're creating spatial audio mixes, less is more. Um, things that are probably within our mid-range of hearing and that are short and sharp dexterous sounds are going to be noticed more, especially when they're placed in uh, 3D space. I think another a really good piece of advice when you're working with audio is that you kind of come across lots of different types of people, creative people, so actors and musicians and people that you're interviewing. And I would say they need to be comfortable with you, just being a joy to work with. And it's not all about the technology, it's about engaging with the human being that's behind the microphone. That will get you a long way. Catherine Robinson, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast hosted by Oliver Cadell with guest Catherine Robinson. This episode was produced by Gillian Duffy, Oliver Cadell and Giacomo Corpino and included music by Nobs Bergamo. The episode also included excerpts from Sounds of Wales, a programme produced by Catherine Robinson for BBC Radio Wales. Thanks for listening.